So we're going to sing those songs together. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 21 through 35. Pastor Mike will be preaching these verses in just a few minutes. And we'll remain standing out of honor for the Lord and His Word. Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You may be seated. It's good to uh, remember as well as we read and as we celebrate this morning, there are believers all around the world who celebrate the birth of Christ with us. And as we pray in just a moment, we want to remember one of the missionary couples that we support. That's Fali and Lily Ravwangi. They're serving in Madagascar, involved with a local church there as well as a seminary. And so as we pray, uh, we'll pray for the Ravwangi family. Let's pray together. Father, we are amazed and humbled. There's really no words to even describe uh, the, the awe that should be ours as we think about you sending your son. Uh, we're just at a loss to think about the humility and the condescension involved in you at the perfect time sending your own son into the world to take flesh, to be born in the most humble of circumstances, to live in obscurity in a small town, and then to live and ultimately to be killed by a, a crowd uh, hurling insults at him only to rise again. Lord, this Christmas morning, we just want to praise and worship you for the gift of Jesus our Savior. Thank you that to a world of undeserving and rebellious people you sent your own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to redeem a people. Thank you that Jesus has come. And Lord, this morning together we acknowledge that we fall short of your glory at every turn, that our lives are stained by sin and even our righteousness is filthy rags in your sight compared to your holiness. And so our only hope is in Christ. It is only in Christ, this one who came to be born in a manger outside of the inn in the most lowly place. Our hope rests in him. And Lord, this morning we thank you so much for the comfort and hope and forgiveness and life that is ours in Jesus. Thank you for the message of the gospel that has gone all around the world, a message of hope and peace among people who trust in Christ. Lord, thank you for the way that you have changed our lives by the grace that's in Christ. Thank you that there is confidence in the forgiveness of every sin in him. Thank you that there's confidence in our relationship with you, that we can know you, that you hear us when we pray because of Christ. And so this morning we just desire that he would receive all honor and glory. Lord, thank you for the song that we were just singing, that there, there a day is coming when Christ in his second coming will return and as far as the curse is found, he will extend blessing. Your glory will cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. And Lord, we wait for that day and long for it, pray that it would come, and we thank you already that you are building your church and your kingdom here. Lord, we pray for uh, Fali and Lily and the work in Madagascar. We thank you so much for them and for their ministry and for their heart. We pray that you would bless it. Would you bless the work that's happening in the seminary? Would you raise up many people there who can carry the gospel forward faithfully? Uh, to the villages and towns and cities in Madagascar and across all of Africa. Lord, we pray for their uh, ministry in the local church and to surrounding areas and ask that you would cause it to bear fruit. Would you encourage them? Would you uphold their family, even in the middle of different uh, just challenges, health and otherwise? Would you continue to strengthen and sustain them? We thank you for them and for their ministry. We pray for your grace on what they're doing in Madagascar. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this morning. We pray that you would humble our hearts as we Think about what you've done for us in Christ. 
We pray that you bless the preaching of your word that would come with supernatural power by your spirit. And it's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Christmas. I love the songs, like that beautiful one we just heard. I love the nativity scenes. I love the lights, the festive atmosphere, and I love that we celebrate the true Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us who saves. Charles Spurgeon once said, I wish that, that everybody that keeps Christmas this year would keep it as the angels kept it. Since the angels gave glory to God, let us do the same. And we gather today, as we do each Lord's Day, to give glory to the King who reigns forever. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We get to cheerfully sing and pray and speak gospel truth at Christmas, on Christmas Day. And yet the world creates and our hearts curate shallow substitutes. There is a danger of a season becoming a sentimental journey, really a traditional annual observance rather than a life of worship as God intends. One of the things I love in uh, watching and uh, I really enjoy is a toddler opening up a gift. Because they, a lot of times, will open the gift up and then, uh, you know, toss aside the, the gift and just play with the wrapping or play with the box. And you, you got to love it. But it reminds me of the tendency that we uh, could have to get caught up in the wrappings and trappings of Christmas and miss Jesus. Has it happened to you? If it has, it's recoverable. That's why I want to take a fresh look today at a familiar passage of Scripture and set your attention upon the sovereign glory of Christ today as we explore this familiar Christmas passage in Luke chapter 2. We'll start at verse 21. This month we have been contemplating the true Messiah. First we saw his sinful family tree in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is the promised sovereign. He's Son of David, he's the perfect Savior, he's son of Abraham. We saw his startling incarnation, he is God with us to save us. But we also saw his sinister opposition, that even at his birth there were those opposing him. But we found, and we will know this, that nothing will foil God's plan in Christ. No prince, no politician, no pretender will stop him. Last evening we looked at his spectacular birth. In Luke 2, that Jesus is the God-man who saves, and that his birth defines everything, even our calendars. But today, his sovereign glory, in Luke 2, 21-35, that Jesus reigns over all in sovereign glory, that he shall reign forever and ever, King of the universe. I want to call your attention today to Christ's sovereign glory, seen in this passage, in three ways. First, the name he was given... Secondly, the salvation he provides. And third, the opposition he attracts. Christ's sovereign glory seen in the name he was given, the salvation he provides, and the opposition he attracts. In verses 21 to 24, we see Christ's glory in the name he was given. He reigns as sovereign Lord, and he's the epitome of sovereign glory, and it's captured in his name, Jesus, the name above all names. Verse 21 tells us, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. God had the naming rights. But notice the obedience his parents displayed. Notice that his parents 
obeyed the word of God, not only in naming, but also in presenting. Verse 22 says, when the time for their purification according to the law of Moses was up. This wasn't the eight days later. This was 40 days later. When a woman had a son, uh, she was ceremonially unclean for 40 days, 80 if, if she had a daughter. I don't know what that was about because girls are better than boys. We all know that, right? But they brought him up to Jerusalem. That's a six or seven mile journey from Bethlehem. And this, this is probably the one phrase that blows my mind the most at Christmas uh, right next to Emmanuel, God with us. And it's this one. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So the Lord was presented to the Lord. Yahweh was presented to Yahweh. Just mind-blowing. And it, it was as it is written in the law of the Lord, verse 23, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, set apart to God. Uh, the dedication of the firstborn was commanded in the law of Moses. Holy to the Lord, set apart to God. Now it is fitting, is it not, for the Lord and his birth to be wrapped in glorious obedience to the word of God. The word made flesh, took on flesh, fulfilled the word of God. And so when they were there, they, verse 24 says, they offered the, the sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So as it went, you could offer a lamb and a dove or a pigeon, or if you were poor, you could offer two doves or, two, or, a, or pigeons. Leviticus 12 tells us that Mary and Joseph were poor. But the name was rich. The name was very rich, full of messianic meaning. God had the naming rights, and you know, what's in the name, right? What's in the name? Well, it depends on who's getting named. It depends on what the name means. And you think of every name given to Jesus, especially his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, and every title, Constellation of Israel and others, and every fulfillment of prophecy, it just shows the sovereign glory of Christ. In Philippians 2, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is glorious. He has the name above all names, and it is seen in his incarnation, in his condescension, in his humiliation, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in his glorification. All the way through. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 138. Lord, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You have literally magnified above all things, made bigger than everything, your name and your word. Biggest telescope, the most powerful telescope in the world, James Webb Space Telescope, went into orbit around the sun at the end of last year. A million miles above Earth. Has a mirror, 21 feet. It's 21 feet, 4 inches wide. It can see 13.6 billion light years away. My calculator doesn't go that high. And it doesn't bring anything closer to us. It just helps us see what's already there. And scripture is where we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It is where we see the truth about Jesus. And we haven't seen him face to face. And scripture is this powerful witness to truth. You use a magnifying glass and you can make something more seeable, but it doesn't make it bigger, it makes it clearer. 
Revelation says this, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. The name of the Lord shows his sovereign glory, reflects God's glory. He is set apart. And every believer, God has set apart. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus today, God has set you apart to live that reality, to consciously get up every day and say, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm, I'm going to serve Jesus from my heart with my life, and I, I want my life to reflect the glory of his name by faith. I'm going to live for the glory of his name, who he is and what he does. And he will honor that desire. You, if you resolve to please him, in 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Therefore we have as our ambition, this is what we're aiming for, to be pleasing to him. Because not only is, is Jesus' sovereign glory seen in the name he was given, but also in the salvation he provides. The salvation that, that a believer rests in. In verses 25 to 32, we, we, we meet a man in verse 25 who is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Nowhere else in the Bible do you find this guy. His name was Simeon. He was in Jerusalem. He was righteous, devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. More on that in a moment. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Here you have in that day, messianic expectation running at a fever pitch, and people, even in Luke 3, they're asking about John the Baptist. Is he the Messiah? And there are so many Old Testament prophecies that are speaking of his coming but only a handful of people got the significance of Christ's birth because it was revealed to them by God. And he came in the Spirit, verse 27, into the temple. And just like, it's like the path converged perfectly. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arm, little swoops in, picks up the baby. I mean, when a newborn baby comes in the room, everybody wants it. Oh, let me hold the baby. He, t- he swoops up Jesus in his arms and starts blessing God, starts prophesying and praising God and says, now, Lord, now you're letting me depart in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen your salvation. We don't know when he died, know how many years he, he lived, but he had seen the one who'd redeem his people from their sin. He had seen his Savior. And so he says, you, you, you can let me go now. His psalm here, it's a psalm, it's a song. It's, it's called the Dimitus. It's from the first two words of a Latin translation, and it's number four of five songs of praise to God at the birth of Christ in Luke's gospel. What it is is a clear testimony of saving faith. I hope you have one. I hope you can say, this is, this is how Jesus saved my life. If you're not a believer today, I hope you can leave with one. I hope you can leave with one today if you're not acknowledging Christ. I hope you, if you're not believing in the Lord Jesus and, and not being saved by him, I hope that you can leave today with that, a clear testimony of saving faith. But Simeon had one. Simeon had one right here. And he says in verse 31, this is what you prepared in the presence of all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. Revelation 7. It is a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. It's for Jew and Gentile alike. For all people, and Simeon saw Jesus, and he knew. It had been 
seen by him because it had been prepared by God and there had been revelation and the saving glory of the Messiah and the promise fulfilled all converged in that moment. And he was able to say, I can depart in peace. Those words, peace, it reminds me and should remind you of Luke 2.14 when the angels are praising God and said, glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests or is pleased. Speaking of recipients of grace because of salvation bought at the cross. Some of you are saying, whoa, whoa, this is Christmas. We're talking about the cross. Oh, yes, we are. Because when you think of Jesus, you have to think of his finished work. We're in 2022, folks. It'll be 2023 next week. We need to know the full story. If you're not a Christian, you need to know the full story here. Not just that there was a baby born in a manger. That baby lived, died, was buried, rose on the third day, is coming again with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who do not. That is the truth. Those are the facts. They're indisputable and undefeatable. Depart in peace. Reminds us of Psalm 5. It says, let all who hope in you be glad forever. They will rejoice. You will encamp among them. You will dwell with them and bless the righteous, O Lord. You have crowned us as with a shield of favor. The favor is the same as with whom he is pleased. It's, it's like goodwill towards man. It doesn't mean good cheer towards everyone and everyone getting along. It means that God shows his grace to those who believe. Let all who hope in you be glad because God blesses those who hope in him with divine favor. God doesn't give everyone his favor, only those who hope in him. God's peace isn't given to all. Only to those who by faith believe in Christ's finished work and are recipients of God's grace. I hope you are today. I hope you are a recipient of God's grace. Paul told the Romans, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's for those who mourn over their sin. It's for those who need to be consoled and then are pointed to salvation in Christ. It's like what Isaiah said in Isaiah 25. He will swallow, he, this is speaking of Jesus, he will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away all tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away. It will be said on that day, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is our God. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice in his salvation. I hope today you are not a a bitter Christian. I hope you're not a miserable Christian. I hope you're not a, a Christian that's grumbling all the time. I hope your soul is lifted by knowing that Jesus is the one who's the consolation of Israel and he brings salvation and we can rejoice. If, if you're not rejoicing in Christ, what are you giving the unbelievers around you? A scowl? Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Literally, you get much more blessing than can be counted when you come to faith in Christ. In Isaiah 57, he says, I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead and restore comfort to him. I will create the fruit of lips, peace, peace to the near and the far. And the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And Simeon was waiting for true salvation. 
and he saw it. And it came from Bethlehem, the house of bread, to Jerusalem, city of the great king. And so many great things uh, of God's provision came from Bethlehem. Think of Ruth. Think of landless Naomi and Ruth faced the threat of hunger, and God provides a kinsman redeemer in Boaz in Bethlehem. You think of Israel struggling under their first king, King Saul, and God provides and chooses David from Bethlehem. And here, Bethlehem, the birthplace of God's provision, the bread of life for our greatest need of rescue and eternal life. Isaiah 53 speaks of Christ. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He will, he will satisfy the wrath of God upon the cross. Satisfaction through substitution. Salvation through that sacrifice. Colossians 1 tells us that God has made peace through the blood of his cross so that you and I could have life. You know, there's a lot of saviors out there that will promise you all sorts of things that they can do for you. But a savior that needs upkeep and maintenance is no savior at all. It's a tyrant. It's like boat ownership. But something you must uh, maintain and keep up is not a savior. Someone who owns you. That you must trust his process. Because a true savior does as promised. And only Jesus can deliver. He delivers peace, not a phony consolation, not, not peace, peace where there is no peace, not a different gospel, not a foreign one, not an untruthful one. And some of you might say, well, that's fine. I won't, you know, I won't go look outside myself. I'll be my own savior. Well, trying to be your own savior is like walking Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Simeon. Simeon was a deep thinker, I would suppose. He's thinking deeply about the truths that he had received. And like him, earlier on in Luke, we met Zechariah. And Zechariah was also a deep thinker. And he had nine months in silence to think, to teach him to believe the promise. He poured over, most likely poured over his Bible during those nine months of not being able to speak because he had disbelieved the promises of God, and he was probably scouring his Old Testament. And so when God allows him to speak, and you see this in Luke 1, 68 and, and 69, when God allows him to speak, when, when he's, he's speaking, here's what he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. This elderly priest John the Baptist's dad announces the imminent birth of Jesus. Now, most newborn uh, dads of, of newborns or, or who are expecting a baby, they want to talk about their, the baby that's coming. Zechariah wanted to talk about Jesus. He wanted to talk about someone else's child. David praised God as a horn of salvation, Psalm 18.2, and Christ was the long-awaited horn who would be raised up. The, the horn pictures strength and God's saving work in Christ. Horn in the Bible is also an image of rejoicing. Uh, lifting up the horn depicts the triumph of God's grace. 
The Hebrew word translated horn is also used to refer to the altar in the tabernacle and the temple. The horns that are part of the altar of incense at the four corners. Every year, God would command the high priest to make atonement on its horns. The day of atonement, the blood of a bull and a goat would be put on the horns of the altar. The sin offering called for blood of a bull on horns. It's always associated with the provision of atonement via shed blood. And even in the Old Testament era, it, to, to take, take hold of the horns on the altar was to, to, to beg for God's mercy, to plead for God's mercy. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. It's recorded in Luke 1, and he was standing next to the altar of incense. The priest, Zechariah, standing next to the altar of incense, and on Christ, on Christ, the ultimate horn of, of salvation, the blood of atonement, he would shed it once for all, for us, the only blood able to cleanse us from all sin, as 1 John 1, 7 says. God provided for him, his people uh, the eternal horn of salvation in Jesus. You need to take hold of him by faith today. To come to God for mercy. Because in him alone, through faith in him alone, is, is peace with God and forgiveness from God. I mean, what salvation are you looking for? What, what salvation are you hoping in? Whatever it is, whatever you are truly committed to, whatever you are desiring most will shape and remake you in its image. There are so many people who have been ruined and conformed into the hideous image of lesser gods. But when your faith is set on Jesus, when your affections are directed to Jesus, he will transform you from one degree of glory to another. Jesus' sovereign glory is seen in the name he was given, but also in the salvation he provides. And then we see in verses 33 to 35, his glory is also seen in the opposition that he attracts because his glory is set in, in bold relief up against the darkness of the opposition against him. And his glory is like a diamond just shining on a dark background. Herod wasn't the only one after him. He's a consistent object of man's scorn. You might be scorning Christ today. But Jesus' re rejection reveals his glory. It shines it forth even greater. The glory signifies the battle to be fought and won for souls. Verse 33 says, His father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon turns and blesses them, and says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, that's to those who reject him, that he will be a stone of stumbling, those who receive him will be raised up, there will be a sign that is to be opposed. They will be spoken against. There will be verbal insults hurled at Christ. But there will also be Israel's rejection and hatred and murder of the Messiah. He says in verse 35, a sword will pierce your own soul. So that thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. Mary would experience grief at watching her son die in agony at the cross. And the rejection of the Messiah reveals the truth about apostates and people who reject him. But for those who believe, Isaiah 8 says this, he will become a sanctuary. For those who disbelieve, a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling, a trap, a snare, many shall stumble on it. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and taken. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, 
A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power and wisdom of God. I hope your, your soul is anchored in Christ, the power and wisdom of God. God knows the hearts of men. God brings conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And there are a lot of false Christs out there. It's easy to believe a fake is real. Just the other day, I met a man. He looked like the lead singer of the band U2. I mean, I, I, my wife Angela even said, I looked across the room and I thought, could it be? Just like him. My friend comes up to me and says, who does this person look like? I'm like, Bono. Turns out he's the world's foremost impersonator, body double for Bono. I got a selfie. He sang something. I videotaped it. But here's the thing. Doesn't matter how many times I look at that picture. And I look at that picture and I think, I think I might have met the real guy. Looks like the real Bono. I mean, he was in character. He, he sounded like him. It must be him. Because your mind plays tricks on you. You can tell yourself all day long. You know, that you found the answer to everything. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, you are lost. And I pity your soul and I, and I plead with you to turn to Christ and be saved. Here's another example. This is sillier than the first. Let's say all you've ever eaten all your life is imitation crab meat. And you, you can go your whole life thinking that's crab meat. And then someone serves you real crab meat and you go, that's not crab, that's a fake. Or maybe it's coffee for you. You know, the coffee connoisseurs. Then you try U-Ban and you're like, ooh. For me, it's, it's olive oil. Just the other day, I was looking at that going, some restaurants just can't bring the real stuff. Many false Christs have gone out into the world, and the apostle tells us, let no one deceive you. False Christs in abundance during the holiday season, especially Christmas. So be on your guard. Believe everything you read in Scripture about Jesus, the true Messiah, the true Savior. And, and the fact that so many oppose him just shows how glorious he is, how wonderfully glorious he is. It's their guilt versus his perfection. The coming of Jesus, it's, a, it's the visitation of God upon our world. For centuries, people were convinced God had left. Prophecy had ceased. Israel had fallen to Rome. But the godly waited. They waited. With days of expectation. Long-awaited visitation of God was happening in that moment in an unexpected way. In Psalm 132, God says regarding Jerusalem, I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. And David said, the Lord is my fortress, my deliverer, my rock. I will take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. Do you know, if you're a believer today, you're not only saved, you are being preserved. You are being protected by God. Your soul will not be lost. Your soul will not be stolen. You're being protected. 
and secured. That's what God does for his people. He's destroying his enemies. He's gathering his people in peace, in hope, in love. He's creating a holy and righteous people who have no fear because they trust in him. We have a deadly disease. Each of us has a deadly disease. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The wages of sin is death. And not only do we have a a deadly disease, we have a powerful enemy. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Everyone's going to die of this deadly disease or be devoured by this, this dreaded enemy if there's no horn of salvation for us. But Christmas is good news of great joy. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8 tells us that. That's why he came. Hebrews 9.26 says, Christ appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is why he came. And and fear and guilt, what keeps you awake at night, what ruins your relationships, fear and guilt, those two awful life ruiners have been destroyed because Satan was defeated and sin forgiven. That's why a believer can live with humble and simple and pure devotion to Christ, where you can say, I love Jesus and I obey Jesus for his glory, or, or you can be opposed to the gospel. And if you're opposed to the gospel, 2 Peter 1.14 calls you an accursed child. It's a Hebrew saying, it literally, children of the curse. It means you're under the wrath of God. If you oppose the king, you will fall. You will be broken. You will stumble on the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, and you will be opposed by God, the righteous judge. Hebrews tells us it's, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you will worship Jesus now or you will worship him when it's too late. You will bow before him now or you will bow before him when it's too late. There's no in-between. The psalmist put it this way, man in his, in his pomp or his honor is like the beasts that perish. Christ will be glorified in you now or, or then. You will bow to him now or then, but do it now before it's too late. He shall reign forever and ever. I mean, why why did God the Son enter the world the way he did? Why? Why born of a virgin? Why, Why not in a palace? Why such a humble existence as a carpenter? Because of God's plan. Despite the opposition of man, the Son was given. You don't take Jesus. You don't demand Jesus. He bids you come and you cheerfully believe. And the, way, the, way, the way Jesus came to earth it stands in stark contrast to the pride and the power and the skin-deep fixation of fallen humanity. And the Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. That you would run to Jesus who offers hope. The only hope. The only way of salvation. The eternal God took on flesh to save lost sinners. That stands in marked contrast to the commercialized cultural Christmas message of good cheer. The inerrant word does not give you a sentimental message 
of brotherhood of humanity or the Christmas spirit. You know, you actually need to reject the Christmas spirit and let the Holy Spirit transform your life. The Son of God, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born in a stable, placed in a manger to save people blinded to their need. And God is opening blind eyes even now. Even today and tomorrow, should the Lord tarry, the spectacular birth in the lowest of situations, that we could be amazed that the Son of God would come into such a dark world for people like us. That we would see the love of God, that we would see that it led him to come for us, that we might be reconciled to God. As, as the psalmist put it, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. He shall reign forever and ever. This is why the angels and, and people praised him. As the psalmist also said, great is the glory of the Lord. But there's this danger. There's this danger of Christmas that, that you or I might obscure or cloud the sovereign glory of Christ. That maybe you would oppose God by trying to keep Jesus a baby. That you, you like baby Jesus, but you don't like grown-up Jesus. And, and that that means you're trying to control the narrative versus just surrendering to God. People put up smoke screens all the time. People ignore reality all the time. Uh, many people are happy to go to a Christmas program and feel good about a baby being born, but it's quite another thing to acknowledge the lordship of Christ on Monday morning or Saturday night and obey what he says in the word of God. What Luke is giving us is, is strong, strong hints of a kingdom not of this world looking forward to Israel's consolation as Simeon was, or Anna looking forward to Jerusalem's redemption, or the coming of the kingdom, the master's return, and the resurrection of the just and the unjust. It all pictures Jesus on a throne, lifted up to shine upon us. This is why you can say no to needy saviors that need you to coddle them and feed their egos. Very God of very God, God of God needs nothing. You know, you bring a baby, baby's parents a gift, but you surrender and bow before a king. The danger of Christmas could be that you would throw away the real thing with the wrapping and miss Christ. Don't play with the wrapping and ignore Christ. You know, enjoy, enjoy the kids doing that with the gifts, but don't do that with Jesus. Look to Christ. Look in, look in Scripture, and, and, and God has... It says that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ that today you could behold him by faith. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Like gladly receive him. Humbly acknowledge him. Eagerly obey him. Expectantly wait for him. This Jesus, this king of all who reigns in sovereign glory. And you know what I love about Christmas is there's so many gospel reminders. I love nativity scenes. I want to keep my nativity scene up all year long. I really do. I'm a weirdo about that. I do, I don't, but I do, I want to. I've got a nativity scene in my office on the shelf all year long. Love nativity scenes. Reminds me of Jesus. Reminds me of his birth. You have all these reminders at Christmas and they get put away. Don't let them vanish in thin air. You know what I call after Christmas? The aftermath. 
You walk down the street on trash day and there's just trash cans filled to overflowing with wrapping paper and boxes. Call it the aftermath, which is often a heartless, obscene scene of overconsumption. But the Christ-centered reminders like nativity scenes or Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2 and Christmas songs, you know, too often we just put them away for another year, right? What remains? What remains after you do all that? What remains is the glory of Christ in the gospel. The glory of Christ in the gospel. It points to his humble, bold obedience and his suffering and his securing of salvation by the sacrifice of himself. It it points to his joy in bringing many to glory. I mean, think about it. The manger's empty. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. The throne is filled forever. The incarnation was for the cross and the glorification. One theologian recently declared that Christmas is bigger than Easter because he said the incarnation is bigger than the atonement, and he made his point by saying, well, hey, unbelievers like Christmas better than Easter, so it proves my point. I'm like, no, it it proves that people can deal with a baby, and they can't deal with a crucified, risen, returning Savior who promises to return in glory with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who do not. See, the incarnation exists for the atonement. It's all together. And much more in the Bible about the cross than how he got here. Let me give you two examples, two quick examples. The incarnation points to the finished work of Christ on the cross. First is Athanasius' fourth century classic, On the Incarnation. So the guy wrote a classic, On the Incarnation. It's mostly not about the birth of Jesus. What he says about Christ in the manger, though, is soul-thrilling, what little he says about him. For example, here's one example. The incorruptible, immaterial word of God comes into our realm. Although he was not formerly distant, now he comes, condescending towards us in his love for human beings. Beautiful. But most of Athanasius' energy was spent speaking of the risen Lord who died and lives forever. Why? Because he was enthralled with the whole truth. He loved the whole truth. You and I need to love the whole truth. The second example is Handel's Messiah, written in 1741. Beloved Christmas music, right? Uh Uh-uh. Easter music, actually, as it it was intended. But it is also mostly not about Christmas. And it it does have, for unto us a child is born. It does have angels singing glory to God to shepherds. But if you've played it or you've gone to it, you know it's like two to three hours long, right? Maybe over three hours. Here's what it includes. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the church's mission, the gospel being preached, and the return of Christ, which is what the Hallelujah Chorus is really all about, the return of Christ. So Handel's Messiah seems like it's about Christ's birth, but it's reality, it's about his entire work as Savior. The atonement, you could call it the center of gravity for the gospel. But the incarnation points to the atonement. It's the gospel we believe and proclaim, and and the incarnation is bigger than you think. Without the incarnation, the rest wouldn't be. There there is this tendency we have to isolate or separate one aspect of Christ's work like the incarnation. And it's not a bad thing to study one thing, but you have to keep them all, all in the picture. See, the testimony of Scripture encourages you not to isolate or separate, but to appreciate and celebrate the full breadth of the work of God in Christ. Don't isolate, don't separate. Appreciate, celebrate it all. 
And what you, you should think of the incarnation as is the front door to understanding the gospel. It brings people in. It draws people in. So they might see what Jesus came to do and adore him who shall reign forever and ever. I mean, you get back to the passage and you're like, wow, the one they've been waiting for, the one they've been trusting in, the one promised had appeared and their souls were satisfied. Simeon's soul was satisfied. I can die now. Mary and Joseph's souls were satisfied. They would, their souls would get ripped apart watching what Jesus went through, but their souls were satisfied in Christ. Now, I'm gonna do something right now that some, makes some of you upset, and no hate mail, no hate texts. It's Christmas. I am not a fan of wish lists at Christmas or any time. If, ever there, if anyone asks me what I want, I say, you know me, get me what you think you, you want me to have. Get, don't get me, I don't like the get me what I want thing. I like, surprise me. God didn't ask us for a wish list. God knew what we needed. And he sent it in his perfect time. You need to realize something. There's no present underneath your tree. You might have opened them all. You might still be looking to open up presents. Or you might do nothing. But I'm guessing there's some presents. No present underneath your Christmas tree will give you gospel hope. Unless you're getting a Bible. But think of it this way. That with every gift you give or every gift you open, praise God in your heart for the greatest gift the Lord Jesus. Let let it be a reflection. Every gift you open, every gift you give, let it be a reflection of the greatest gift that it it, it would even help you to fix your eyes on Jesus and his sovereign glory, that you wouldn't play with the wrapping and ignore the main thing or throw away the real thing with the wrapping, that no, you would see his sovereign glory in his name, the great I am. Every title, every description, every marker point, pointing to his being God, the consolation of Israel, and his, his sovereign glory in the salvation he gives. He provided salvation. He was, he was in on the planning committee. It was all for God's greater glory. He's the horn of salvation. And his sovereign glory is seen in the opposition that gets hurled at Jesus. It's a cosmic battle. It's, it's a foregone conclusion, though. We know who wins. There will be the rise and the fall, and he is undefeatable. And he's the stone of stumbling and rock of offense. And he holds all things together by the word of his power. He upholds the universe. It blows my mind. I was thinking the other day, of the trails I hike, every rock, every pebble, every grain of sand is there for his pleasure, and there's no random chance occurrence. It's just a grand symphony of praise to the king of all. I love Christmas. I really do. Celebrate the true Messiah and the word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us who saves You know what Spurgeon said? He said, I wish there were 20 Christmas days a year. I'm like, bring it on. 19 more opportunities like this. Let's take every opportunity, day in, day out, to worship the king who rules forever. Spurgeon said this, O blessed thought, the star of Bethlehem shall never set. Jesus, the fairest among 10,000, the most lovely among the beautiful, is a joy forever. This one shall reign forever and ever. And Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We want to come joyful, triumphant in Christ. 
to adore you, Christ the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you came in perfect time to meet our greatest need. And even today, Lord, you are still opening hearts to the gospel and that those who believe are kept and preserved by your grace for your glory. May we take this news to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand and we'll close worshiping, singing, He shall reign forevermore. Yeah.
So to all who are here, present with us, both in person and online, I wish you the best of everything this Christmas. Uh, we're going to have a, a bit of a quieter week uh, this week at church. Not a lot of activities. I think there's like none on the calendar. So enjoy your family and friends and other things this week. I want to give you a couple of announcements. Um, join us January 4th on a Wednesday night uh, for Bring the Book. We'll read through uh, the next book where I'm going to be preaching through. I'll be starting Ephesians next Sunday morning on January 1. And then Wednesday night, we'll be having public reading of Scripture and dinner together. Also, we have several missions trips uh, about to go soon. Uh, groups are going to Tijuana, Mexico, uh, January 13 to 15. That's the McFarland family. That trip is already set. But there is a trip going February 17th and 19th that you can be a part of that Glenn Perry is leading to build a home in Mexico. So uh, look up some info on that. Also, I'm leading a team uh, to Malawi and Zambia in February that is already set as well, but we ask for your prayers and support there. And then we handed out a 2023 Bible reading plan today. So make sure, uh, I just invite you to join us reading Genesis to Revelation again this year. And uh, let's close with, with the words that the Spirit of God gave to Zechariah in Luke 1, 68 to 72. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that you continue to remember your holy covenant. Thank you for salvation in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are still opening hearts to the gospel. Thank you that you preserve all who are yours. And we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day to be able to worship you together and celebrate the birth of Christ and all that you have done in Christ to save us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor. With